Welcome to the Find Your Best Future podcast. This is the podcast that helps international families make great decisions when it comes to choosing university courses. So before we start, tell us a little bit about yourself, Joe. Sure. My name is Joe Jackalow. I'm the Executive Director of International Admission at Marist College. I've been working there for about 17 years, and I am a proud Marist graduate. And could you provide us with a quick introduction to your university? Sure. Uh, Marist is located just north of New York City, right on the banks of the Hudson River. We really describe ourselves as a global university with the traditions and personal touch of a leading liberal arts college. We also have a campus in Florence, Italy, and we're one of the only on-the-ground, full bachelor degree U.S. programs that exist there. Fantastic. And what do you love most about your university, Jack? So I'm biased. Obviously, they pay me, but I'm also a graduate. So I'm always going to be a Marist Red Fox no matter where I go. But the thing I love most about being a student there and about working there is it's got to be the community. Marist is one of those places where you get out of it what you put into it. So there's a lot of things to explore and, and new passions to discover and passions to continue to do. But there's also people there that are looking out for you that will tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, you know, you may be really good at this, or you may want to take this class, or you may try, want to try out for this, and then put you in a totally different direction. So it's a place that you can explore, but it's also a place where people are going to guide you and, and recognize your talent and allow you to grow in that way. And that's something that I really love. And that's something as a staff member I try to do and pass forward uh, with the students that I interact with. Tell us a bit more about the university's physical location, you know, the area around the university. Where are you exactly? So the great thing about the college is that you really get the the best of both worlds. So we're about 90 minutes north of New York City, and we're actually a commuter town to Manhattan. So we're in Poughkeepsie, New York, right in the Hudson River Valley. We're technically a commuter town where people live in the the city of Poughkeepsie, commute down to Manhattan for work every day and and take the train back up. But it's about, about 90 minutes. It's a beautiful scenic ride. Uh, so if you could imagine nice. that you are, uh, you, we're right on the banks of the Hudson River. I mean, you could literally jump off the campus into the water, which we don't recommend, but ultimately, <laughs> st- somehow students find their way into the water. But make sure you're a good swimmer. <laughs> I mean, truthfully, there's, it's deep. There's a lot of tides. It's a little, it's a little treacherous. But, but we're right in this uh, beautiful Hudson River Valley. Uh, there have been artists and authors and novelists that have come through and, and use use our region for a tremendous amount of, of inspiration. And you can see Wonderful. you could see that in so many museums around the U.S. And I but, guess you've got uh, good transport links as well. Yeah. So the transport links are fantastic for Manhattan. And right. so I'm, I'm someone that grew up in the New York City. It, technically, I grew up in uh, one of the boroughs in New York City. Right. But we would, I'd always be going into Manhattan. So when I was a Marist student, I didn't always go into the city because it's was a novel it wasn't a novelty for me. But the students that are coming from around the world and other parts sure. of the US go to Manhattan all the time to socialize. But really from an academic standpoint, internships are are critical. So what students love is that you have this access to one of the major world cities, but then you also have this beautiful serene campus just north where when you're walking around campus you're just going to be around Marist folks. It's Marist students, Marist faculty, staff. It's a nice, comfortable place. Uh, and yeah. the area itself, you know, the main employers in our area, either people that work in Manhattan, but locally, IBM, uh, the local hospital, 
uh, Marist College. Those are some of the big employers in the area. Sure. And, you know, for people who are maybe uh, living in uh, in different climate areas around the world, what's the weather like uh, uh, where you are normally? So one thing I love about where I live is that we get all the seasons. And right. I don't think anyone will say that they love the snow. They love the first snow and then they're okay. <laughs> but we do get all the seasons. So when you're a student and you're in Poughkeepsie in the Hudson Valley in the fall and you're starting classes, it's going to be nice and warm. Uh, you're right on the brink of the of the fall season with the foliage coming. There's going to be a lot of tourists coming into town when the foliage comes. It is just right. just breathtaking. So you get a nice season there. And then usually when it gets a little brisk and it's ready to snow, uh, school ends. And it's time to either stay on campus for winter break or head back home for winter break and resume back in, in January. So the winters are very pretty here. They, even though we're, we're in, uh, in the Hudson Valley, they are not, they are not, uh, afraid to close for school, you know, for, for snow. So there's sometimes where we have to close for snow, but the, the, I think the big difference between other, us and other Northeast schools is that it's not a lot of snow where you need to take tunnels to go to class. You need to take okay. buses or cars to go to class. Everything is walkable. And then spring comes, which has to be my favorite season, uh, in, in, in out of all of them. And by the time it gets a little too hot in the summer, it's time to head home uh, to your your uh, your climate. So if you want to just experience the four seasons in a really beautiful way, it's going to be a great location. Uh, and maybe you're coming from a warm climate and you want to try out winter for just a little bit. It's a great place to come to come and visit. But I do for our students coming from the warmer climates around the world, uh, we always recommend make sure you buy your winter clothes here. Uh, sometimes <laughs> the winter clothes that you're going to buy in your area of the world may not be suited for Northeast winters. So just keep I that in that's mind. That's a great piece of advice. There. Yeah. It really is. Um, who owns uh, the college? So we started as uh, an institution founded by the Marist Brothers. It was a religious order. There's probably right. about 700 Marist Brothers schools globally. And we are an institution that was founded by the Marist Brothers that was started for young men to go into that religious order. And then eventually, uh, about in the 60s, late 60s, it was turned over to a board of trustees. So we're a nonprofit organization. Since right. 1969, we've been run by a board of trustees. Uh, we're a private university, but we still have some of the same traditions and the tenets of what it means to be a Marist brother. So excellent education and commitment to community service and really doing good work quietly. That is something that has been pervasive throughout the Marist education for students that are coming here and for our, our alum. It's right. doing what's right, not because you're looking for the personal um, the personal credit. It's, it's really because it's the right thing to do. That's a really powerful message, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's something that goes beyond what is just a Marist for your experience. You know, we, we have a philosophy in our office that we're enrolling students for life. And no matter where you go, no matter where you'll be, you're always going to be a Marist Red Fox and, and carry those traditions with you. Okay. Tell us about the facilities. When I, when I turn up at your, your university, what kind of uh, yeah, facilities, infrastructure am I going to experience? So we are really just cradled right right along the, the Hudson River. And there are, when you, when you enter campus, it's going to look like a cliche 
Hollywood movie campus where you have these sprawling quads, these beautiful architectural buildings. You have uh, the river on one end and they're flanked by the beautiful mountains of the Hudson River Valley. And it is just a beautiful place. But when I ask people what their first impression is of the campus, it's always, the answer always is, it's clean. It's just well-maintained. The, the buildings look like they're brand new, even though they've been around for a long time. We have three historic buildings on campus uh, that are in the New York State Registry, Historic Registry. Right. And they're very beautifully uh, created. And much of the new buildings that are being created on campus or old buildings that are being renovated are pulling from those same themes of the local stone and the brick. And it's just a beautiful architectural scene when you get onto campus. Right. And the teaching spaces, how are they, what are they? Are they very traditional uh, lecture spaces or is there a mixture of, uh, of teaching and learning spaces? So one thing we always talk about at Maris is the opportunities for internships where you are leaving campus and you're having an internship, whether it's in the state capital, New York City, Washington, D.C., London, Costa Rica, whatever the case may be. But the reality is that on campus, the facilities are incredible. So for a school our size, uh, we have graduate programs at the, the for physician assistance program. We have uh, essentially a, a donor lab, uh, a cadaver lab. So there's people that have lived out their lives and donated their bodies to scientific research. And we have those laboratories on campus. So right. it's good for the grad students and some of our undergrads in biomedical science have access to that. We have a, a center for cybersecurity where students are working alongside professionals in cybersecurity. We're division one in athletics. We have our men's and women's basketball teams being broadcast uh, on ESPN, which is a ESPNU or ESPN8. That's a, a very popular uh, network here in the United States. It is. We have an ESPN center on campus where students are working along professionals to broadcast games. But truly, when you look at a traditional classroom experience, it's small classrooms. So 18 to 25 students in a class, 16 to 1 student-faculty ratio. The professors are going to know who you are. There is some lectures, but really it's just going to be a lot of, a lot of group work too. So the idea is we're, we're a liberal arts and sciences education program. So you have students that are taking a philosophy class, for instance. You're in classes with students from different parts of the U.S., different parts of the world. Students that are wired to study computer science or fashion design or psychology. And you're in that one classroom studying and working together. So it is a, uh, a very interesting and dynamic educational experience in that sense. So you have the investment center where students can be trained on Bluebird terminals so that when they graduate and work on Wall Street, they're certified to work on Wall Street. And then you have students in uh, more traditional spaces where you're, you're sitting in circles and you're discussing Kant. And I guess you've got some pretty amazing sports facilities as well. We do. So we're Division One, And for a school our size, it's pretty unique. The sports facilities are fantastic. And our students that are not at the Division One level still have access to those. We have recently renovated our recreational center, and the gym is just beautiful. And it's not just for you know heavy lifting. There's all different types of, of machines, cardio machines. There's a physical therapy area. There's a little snack area in there too we have a, a rooftop terrace place where students can go and relax and take in the views from the river 
then there's clubs and organizations, athletic clubs and organizations. So even if students aren't competing at a D1 level, there's still ways to be, to be active. So right. I was a, I was a swimmer when I was in secondary school. And if you're doing any endurance sport, that's really all you can do. Can't do anything else. And then when I got to Maris as a student, I still wanted to be active. So I got involved in intramural sports and uh, not so much club sports. Club sports is still, you're competing against other, other universities and colleges, but there's ways for students to remain active physically. Okay, great. And what about the arts, performance arts, those kind of things? So there is no shortage of the arts in our area. So obviously taking advantage of New York City is going to be paramount for our students. But also it means that we have talent from New York that will come up and help uh, direct a, a, a musical that we're putting on on campus. So it's run by students, but we'll hire uh, professionals from the city to come up. But also in our area is a magnet for a lot of a lot of artists. Uh, Beacon is becoming a major art center in, in our area. Uh, there are famous artists that will come through. There's art installations that will come through. We have steel plant studios on campus that houses fashion design, our uh, graphic design, arts, art students. We have faculty exhibits going on there, student exhibits. Uh, it really is a place where you can experience professional programming, but also not just the arts, but traditional liberal arts education. It's really right. unique. And, you know, uh, having worked with students a long time, uh, I think uh, one of the really important things is eating and shopping. Uh, what, do you, what, do you, what, do you, what do you have there uh, in terms of, um, you know, getting at, uh, getting at things? Is it canteen-based? We'll come back to it later, but, yeah, sure. but uh, is, are, there, are there lots of choices there? So one of the great things about being in our area is that there's other institutions in our area, but they're really unique. So Vassar College is not too far from us, probably about five minutes. Bard College is just north of us. But the Culinary Institute of America is about five minutes north <laughs> of the campus. Wow. And this is probably the premier culinary school in the country. Right. So not only as a student is it a good strategy to make friends with folks that are studying there as well, <laughs> but it, it also means that Many of their graduates will set up restaurants in the local area. So there's a few key places where right. I like to go personally that are run by uh, culinary grads. And Sounds then good we also have our, our dining hall on campus where there are culinary graduates that are working there as well in different capacities. But tell us a little bit about your teaching team, your lecturers, uh, where they come from, you know, their kind of backgrounds, please. Sure. So one of the things that I loved about being a student was access to the faculty. Uh, we have, as I mentioned, a 16 to 1 student-faculty ratio. But what's right. really important is that 77% of the faculty have PhDs or terminal degrees. And the folks that don't have a PhD or terminal degree are coming from industry. So they're folks that have uh, worked in, in business and are now teaching at the, the institution. Or they've had successful careers in fashion, and now they're teaching at the institution. Courses aren't taught by grad students. They're not taught by teaching assistants. So when you're a freshman and you are in your base, one of the basic uh, educational courses that are required for you, you're learning from people that really have the most amount of knowledge in their discipline. Uh, so right. it's, it's a great educational experience in, in that sense. And where do your students come from? Uh, um, you know, what's the percentage of uh, U.S. nationals and maybe local state nationals uh, and international students? Give us an idea sure. of the kind of student body? So we have just under 6,000 undergrads. 
uh, studying at the institution. And the majority of them are, are living on campus. We have students from almost every state in the United States, not everyone yet, and we're working on it, but, not, but we do have students from all over the US and we have about 50 different countries uh, represented on campus. So there is a, a great diversity in terms of where the students are coming from, um, from around the world and from uh, the United States. This incoming freshman class, uh, just under half of them are from uh, from New York. So they're, we're really bringing in students from, from all over. I mean, traditionally, it used to be a New York, New Jersey, Connecticut school. And as uh, the institution has grown and as our staff has grown, the word has gotten out, we really are pulling students from, from all different areas, which is just fantastic. Fantastic. And international students, where do they mostly come from? So I love this question because they're coming from everywhere. It is not like we are dominated by one particular country. Uh, right. We have a great group of, I, I would say, numbers-wise, and dominate is a really strong word. We have pretty strong representation from Ghana, pretty strong representation from Nepal. But we have students okay. from, from all over. And uh, as I mentioned, about 50 different nationalities from all different corners of the planet, from every region you can think of. So that's wonderful. Yeah. And they're, they're studying all different subjects too, which is great. Okay. It's not like you find one group only studying one particular degree and you're only going to find one classroom with students from one place. It's not like that. It's, it's great okay. that way. Great. And, you know, again, one of the, the subjects that's, that students always are talking to about us to look to us about is uh, uh, rankings, uh, always uh, wanting to know how the university or the college is ranked. Um, you know, we know that rankings are, you know, are very subjective and 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 paint uh, only a partial picture. But sure. how does the, the college um, uh, rate in regards to rankings? So I always think that Marist is a hidden gem. I think when I speak with internet, well, I know when I speak with international families and they, they come to visit or we have folks from outside of the tri-state area that are visiting, that are driving through, they don't really recognize until they get to campus how special this place is. So when we look at rankings, we are regionally ranked uh, very well for this this uh, for the Northeast, which is right. one of the more competitive areas. Uh, probably the most impressive ranking in my mind is one that was done by the Princeton Review. So Princeton Review puts out the top 400 colleges in the country, and we're always in there. They don't rank them in the number, but we're always in that top 500, uh, 400. But what they did was they created this uh, other listing of the, the top 50 colleges that create futures. So colleges that are focused on opportunities for students to create futures beyond their educational experience. And we're in that, that 50, that elite group of 50. And if you look at that list of schools, spe uh, specifically in, in the enrollment bracket that we're in, we're probably the youngest school in that bracket. And when you look right. at the other schools, it's pretty impressive who we're, we're measured up against. So that, that's probably one of my favorite rankings. The other ranking that I think speaks to Marist's global commitment is uh, one by Open Doors. IIE puts out their Open Doors report. And for our study abroad participation, which also includes our international students that participate in study abroad, we're ranked second uh, for study abroad, for participation in study abroad, uh, and for long-term study abroad. So what that says is we have we have opportunities for students to have a global education, 
But the domestic students, from an internationalist perspective, the domestic students that are at Marist are over half of them want to have a global experience. They, students are coming here because they want they have a global mindset or they want to develop a global mindset. So it, it lends to be a much more globally friendly institution. Joe, can you give us a quick overview of the courses that your university offers? Yeah, so when we talk about the campus in New York, there are a number of different courses that you can take. And we're also a liberal arts and sciences institution. So that means that we have a number of students that are coming in undeclared. So technically, we have about 45 different majors available. We got a nice, nice mix of professional programs and liberal arts programs as well. And those are spread out through six different schools. So you have the School of Computer Science and Mathematics, the School of Management, School of Communication and the Arts, School of Liberal Arts, and the School of Science. And then the, the last one is School of Social and Behavioral Sciences. So all of those uh, make up uh, Marist College. And we also have graduate programs. So technically we're a university, but you know we still call ourselves a college. About a third of the students come in undeclared. And the two thirds of students that come in with a major declared, half of them change their minds. So there's a lot of flexibility. And even if you're studying computer science or you're studying fashion design or you're studying cybersecurity, every student's taking that common core curriculum uh, in liberal arts and sciences. And there are thousands of courses to choose from. So the, the great thing is how different it is from secondary school. Uh, when I was a Marist student, I really, I felt like I was excited to learn because I had so much choice. I think it's one of the big strengths of, of the U.S. higher education system is, is the whole breadth of experience and, and also the flexibility. And I know this is highly valued by, by our students, uh, high school students. Um, but are there any courses which you find are particularly popular with your international students? The, the fun thing about our international students is that they're choosing diverse programming uh, in, in what they study. So there isn't one course where our international students are all flooding to. They are really, in the same way, part of the, the domestic Marist community in the sense that they are just throwing themselves into what it means to have a Marist education. So when we're talking to students and we're advising students from an admission perspective, one thing we're stressing from the beginning is the importance of a liberal arts education from the perspective of strengthening critical thinking skills, strengthening writing skills, strengthening uh, communication skills, all these skills that you're going to need. So when you're, where you, when you're coming to a place like Marist, that is something that the faculty and your advisors are carrying through. So when we're advising students, when the students are choosing their courses, it's not like they are, you, you find international students just studying one thing or you'll find them all in one class. Now that changes at the graduate level, and that's mostly due because of, uh, you know, the graduate students are, are really focused on one particular mode of study. But on the undergraduate level, they're studying all different types of things. So I looked at the majors before, they're in everything. Are there any flagship courses at either undergraduate or graduate level? So there really is an argument for why every program at Marist is, is great. And when you think about what uh, our students are studying from a numbers perspective uh, at the undergraduate level, probably the most amount of students are going to be within the School of Communication and the Arts. And that's going to be your fashion design, your advertising, journalism, media studies, uh, 
digital media that encompasses all of those all those programs. But when you look at numbers on the grad side, the school of management is probably the most popular with undergrads and grads. The school of management is also internationally accredited. It's AACSB accredited, uh, so that puts us within the top 20, 25 percent best business schools globally for the uh, for the school of management. The school of computer science is fantastic, and that's probably one of the oldest programs that we have, and a lot of that has to do with IBM. So IBM is down the road from us, and we have joint study programs with them. And there, there's actually an IBM employee who has an office on campus that manages those joint study programs. So computer science, information systems, and technology, those are stellar programs. And at the graduate level, specifically for our international students, that is the, the, the two programs uh, MSIS and MSCS, where uh, we find many of our international students studying. Then you look at the School of Science, which is smaller in numbers, but in terms of prestige, we have students that have gone on to become Goldwater Scholars. We've had international students that were doing summer programs, uh, studying gene research at Harvard, uh, and they're the only Marist person walking around. There's a bunch of Ivy Leagues and John Hopkins kids working. We made sure she had a lot of Marist gear when she was in that in that program so the and and uh fulbright scholarships coming out of uh, the school of science so that's very strong uh, school of, of social behavioral sciences is amazing as well every student is required to take an internship there's a lot of internship opportunities in our area at the turn of the century in new york city there was a great need for mental health facilities and they built all those facilities in our area so there's a long history uh in that area school of liberal arts is always going to be uh, important part of the educational experience. Most students are going to pass through the School of Liberal Arts at one time or another just based on how our curriculum is designed. So that's a special school to us. And I know I'm missing someone, but there, as I mentioned, there is a uh, there is a argument to be made for every single program. Yeah, you mentioned some of your uh, computer science students do internships at IBM. Um, is this a, a general trend for all of your bachelor students? Do you encourage them to go out and do internships? This is a absolutely critical piece to a Marist education. I mentioned earlier, we were in that 50 colleges that create futures, and a lot of that has to do with the internship opportunities. So 83% of our students have internships, and some of them have semester long, some of them have summer long internships, some of them have maybe one credit internships. It's really critical for a number of different reasons. So one is the obvious reason that students need to have practical experience. They need something on their resume that shows that they know what they're, uh, what they're doing when they're going into a job interview. The reality of applying for positions uh, after you graduate is that you're going to be competing against people that may already have industry experience. So students need to have that industry experience. And one thing that is really integral to the Marist Educational experience is the fact that you have this marriage between the practical and the theoretical, so the classroom and outside the classroom. So we have companies that will come up from the city or Albany or other parts of, of the Northeast to recruit our students for internships. We have students that will intern abroad. We have students that intern in Washington, D.C. or Albany, the state capital, in London, in Costa Rica, so many different places. And it's important because students need to network. When you are applying for jobs, you need to have a strong network. My first job out of Marist was a result of the network that I built. So when you're an intern and you're working, you got to say hi to people. You can knock on doors and say, hey, my name is Joe. I'm an intern. Can I just pick your brain a little bit? Tell me 
you know, what steps did you take to get to where you are? What, what should I be doing? So you're learning about the industry. You're learning about what you should be doing. And at the same time, you're building those connections. So when it came time for me to graduate and I was looking for a job, the folks at my internship knew Joe wants to work here. But if it doesn't work, we have friends that work in these other places and we can pass your resume along. So it's building a network. It's building that uh, practical experience and also finding out if this is really what you want to do. So it's really important. In addition to internships, can your students also go and do an exchange program at a, at a different university? Obviously, the students from Marist in New York can go across to your campus in Florence, but are there any other places they can go? They can go anywhere. And it's not in a traditional ex exchange sense where we send out five students to a school in Japan, and then that school in Japan sends us five students. We have students studying in 70 different locations around the world. And if there's a program that you want and we don't have it, you can go through an appeals process to make it work. So we really want everyone to go everywhere. And that's one of the reasons why we're ranked so high in master's granting institutions for study abroad, because we have a fantastic study abroad office that allows students to, to travel. So over half, over half of MARA students will study in another country, whether it's long term or it's a semester long or short term or multiple of those. I think something that's important for students to understand when they're researching and, and, and deciding which colleges and universities to apply to is the issue of teaching style. And with, in conversations I've had with my students, um, I would say that a lot of high school students don't really give this matter enough thought. Um, can you tell us, uh, Maris, do you have more problem-based learning or do you do more the traditional lecture style of teaching? So every school is going to have a different approach, and school meaning school within Marist. I think the biggest challenge that international students have is adjusting to a new culture and a new style of education. And that can take some time. So there are a lot of resources that we have on campus to help students with that, whether it's their own peers through the Marist International Student Association or the International Student Service Office, or working with international faculty that we have to help them understand some of the nuances that are in, in the classrooms. There's some students that will get into a classroom and have never been able, or, or never knew that it was okay in an American sense to speak up and ask questions and perhaps challenge the discussions that are happening. And that behavior is encouraged. Uh, on our campus. So when you look at what a uh, classroom experience is like, you'll have a professional, whether they are coming from that field or industry, or they have a PhD or terminal degree, as I mentioned in that, in that subject, and they're teaching the students. They want the students to work, on, work in groups. There's going to be individual work. There's going to be papers and, and quizzes and exams and things like that. But there's a lot of group work as well. So there's a traditional lecture, lecture in the sense that the professor is putting out information. Uh, they want the students to continue to do some independent study and research beyond the classroom for homework. And then there's going to be presentations in class. Uh, students need to have that, that type of, of skill as well. So understanding the nuances of working within an American classroom can be challenging for international students. I, students that are coming from certain curriculums are going to have a little bit easier of a transition, but it can be tough. But there are resources, and there's people that care and people that help. I also feel like there's this misnomer that when you get to college, you need to know everything and you need to know how to be a student. And not everyone knows that. There's a reason why we have an academic learning center, why, why we have a proofreading center 
and we have tutoring services and we have a math lab and we have science labs and all these other ways for students to gain experience and knowledge and skills beyond the classroom so that they can be better students because not everybody knows that. You can be a great student in your classroom in your high school, but when you get to college, it's a totally different experience. So there's a lot of people here that care, that want you to be successful. So how do you go about assessing students? Uh, is, is it sort of ongoing coursework, ongoing assessment, or is it sort of end of course exams? So there is ongoing assessment, but then ultimately for a student to move on past that class, they have to earn a certain grade. And it's up to those professors to determine how they will, how the students will obtain those grades. Sometimes a percentage of that grade is based on class participation. Uh, sometimes it's ba based on your involvement in your group work, how you perform on your papers, how you perform on your written exams or multiple choice exams. So when you look at uh, the first semester for a student, they're taking five classes and the classes will meet twice a week and each professor will have a different way of determining how they will assess your acquisition of that, of that uh, course. And everything is mapped out in the syllabus. So the syllabus is something that's handed out at the beginning of the class. It's your contract with the professors, and they will lay out the roadmap of how that semester will look and how grades are recorded and how you will be able to progress to the next class. So there is continual assessment based on the individual professor. Do you have a profile of the ideal student you're looking for? I mean, presumably when you're going through the admissions process, you, you're looking at a lot of different applications and yeah. you, 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 you clearly have some uh, ideas about who you're looking to recruit. Uh, perhaps, perhaps there is a story of a former student that would serve as an inspiration to those listeners who are considering applying to Marist. So th there's got to be a balance of academics and personality for a place like Marist. And when you talk about how we review applications, it is really a balance of an art and a science. So from a basic level, students have to be academically admissible. We never want to set a student up for failure. There are some students, depending on life events, that have potential. Maybe their scores aren't as great as they should be, but they can be. And it's on us to make sure that we are reviewing those students and making sure that we are um, we are able to identify that that level of potential. So, from an academic standpoint, if we break it down into numbers, when we look at the middle fifty percent range of our accepted students, so the middle fifty percent of accepted students on a four scale have like a three point two to a three point seven GPA, and that means that the remaining the remaining fifty percent is split. Twenty five percent of the students get in above a three point seven. Twenty five percent of the students get in with grades below a 3.2. Uh, we give a holistic review. So we're looking at so many other things. We're looking at what their teachers say about them. Uh, we want to know, are they active in the, in the classroom? Sometimes the best letter of recommendations aren't coming from the classes where students are excelling. Sometimes the best letters of recommendations are coming from the, the classes where the students are, are challenged and they need a little bit extra help and they're going for extra help. And that teacher can speak to that student's personality much more than one where they're just excelling and doing great and just uh, and doing fine. So it's looking for a student that, number one, will be able to do well academically, but number two, someone that is going to be engaged with our community. For this whole thing to work, for it to be as dynamic as it is, we need students to bring their passions and their interests and their talents here, because that's how the classroom experience 
is so much more enriching. That's how the conversations that you're having when you're walking from your residence hall to the dining hall to eat are going to be that much greater because you have students from all these diverse backgrounds. So when we look at the, the profile of a student, someone that's going to be able to get the work done, but also someone that is going to get involved, that is curious, that has leadership experience, that wants to be a leader on campus. We have over 80 clubs and organizations. There's a lot of ways for students to get involved. The last two student body presidents of Maris, at Maris have been international students. So there are opportunities for our students to, to lead. So we want, we want those students that are ambitious. But really, we want students to know who we are. So we try to get as much information out there. And I try to be as transparent as possible with the families and the students that I speak to so that when they get to that point where they are making that very important decision of where they're going to enroll, that they feel confident in that decision, that they have all that information to make that educated decision. Uh, do you have any particular English language proficiency requirements for international students? Yes. So one of the things that we don't have would be an English language program. So students do have to come in with a proficiency in English language, uh, whether that's uh, an 80 on the TOEFL or 6.5 on the IELTS. And then there are ways that students can waive those, that, that English proficiency. So if a student is a, a native English speaker, then we're not going to ask for uh, English proficiency exam. If they do take the SAT, they have access to it, and they score a 500 or higher on uh, the critical reading writing section, then we'll waive it. If they're coming from an IB program, then we'll, we'll waive it. If they're coming from an American-style uh, program where they've done all their four years there, we'll, we'll waive it. Now, a very important aspect of all universities is, of course, the support that university can offer to students, both academic and, and social-emotional. Can you perhaps describe what Maris can offer in, uh, in this area? Sure. This is something that really is going to be the cornerstone of a successful experience from an academic and a social perspective. We, as an admission office, are in the business of making sure we're selecting the right students that are going to thrive and we want them to thrive, but we want them to stay on campus and they are going to be part of our community. And we need to make sure that we are providing the proper support for our students. And that runs the gamut of things from making sure that if students have dietary restrictions, that they can work with the chef in the dining hall to make sure that they have an accurate meal plan so that they're, they're safe when they, and comfortable when they're having meals. It's making sure that from a social perspective, when you are a new student living in a freshman residence hall, that not only do you have a peer, older peer student who's a resident assistant, who's managing the floor, making sure everything's okay. You have a professional staff member that's a resident director that's making sure that's managing the whole residence hall. But in addition to that, you have first-year program mentors who are also professional staff members that live in the residence hall and are there to help you with anything and everything and running in services and making sure that they're checking in on students and, and making sure that they're doing okay. Our counseling services is critical. Anytime I speak to a family, anytime I speak to school counselors around the world, mental health support is paramount. And we need to make sure that we have the right support for students that are seeking it out but also the right 
protocols in place for students that need it that aren't necessarily seeking it out. So if I could pull back the curtain just a bit on even the, the smaller details that we have. When students are going into the dining hall and they have to swipe in to eat, you know, uh, each meal, if we're seeing that a student isn't swiping in to eat, that's going to trigger someone to go and check and make sure that student's okay. So there's even small details like that to make sure that our students have the, the right resources available to them. In addition to that, from an academic side, sure, there's going to be plenty of things to help. As I mentioned earlier, the Academic Writing Center and the Proofreading Center and Math Labs and tutoring, peer tutoring services. Our athletes have uh, serve, academic services for them as well. Our international students are going to have the International Student Service Office. They're going to have an academic advisor as well. And some of them even stop by my office to check in and see and see how things are going. So there's, there's a lot of support there uh, to make sure that from an academic standpoint, they're doing well and have the resources and from a social and emotional standpoint uh, as well. We have, and, and, and basic things too. So we have nurses on campus. We have a physician that works on campus too, to make sure the students are safe that way. We run flu clinics and we have uh, folks coming in if students need access to uh, a flu vaccine. So there's all different things like that. In terms of healthcare, um, foreign students coming to the United States, I assume they have to take out some sort of a medical cover, medical insurance? Yes, so every international student has to be on the Marist International Health Insurance Plan, and that's built into their I-20 costs, and uh, they have access to all the things that you would expect you have access to with that, that plan, and it really runs the gamut of services. And as you can imagine, we've had students that need access for special medical care, um, simple things, all the way up to the most severe. So they, they all are required. There is a, a way that in some cases, depending on the, the student's family plan, that they may be able to remain on their family plan. And there's a, a process to be reviewed for that. But every student has to be on international health insurance. And um, can we talk about fraternities and sororities? I know that sure. not all of our international listeners will necessarily know what they are, but uh, yeah. could, you, could you describe what, what they are and do you have them? Sure. I mean, anytime you watch uh, a movie from uh, the early 90s, 2000s, uh, fraternities and sororities are highlighted in the most egregious ways <laughs> in movies and TV, and they're quite comical, and some of it is accurate and some of it is not. But a place like Marist, it's certainly not an area where that's your only key to a social network. That's your only key to friends. We do have about 10% of our students involved in fraternities and sororities. And there aren't fraternity houses or sororities on campus. It's not like that. But so if it, it's one of those things that if you want it, it's there and you can have it. A lot of them do a lot of community work. Uh, it's a great, you know, for those that are in it, they love it and it's perfect for them. But it's not something that every student uh, needs to do. And we also have academic fraternities. Uh, as well. So it, it, sometimes it's beyond just the, the social aspect, but about 10% of the students are involved. I mean, I, when I was a student at Marist, I had friends that were in fraternities and sororities and I would hang out with them and uh, that was allowed. <laughs> we said, uh, you can't hang out with us. Uh, <laughs> so I had a mix, a mix of different circles of groups of friends, which worked out just fine. So what sort of social activities are there really for, for students to get involved in, in the, sort of the, the evenings, the whole sort of social partying scene? on campus if you're if you're bored at marist something is really wrong because there's just so much to do 
So we have over 80 clubs and organizations. There's always something going on. Club meetings. I look at the schedules now and I'm just shocked. I mean, students are meeting. They're like, oh, this our only time to meet is at nine o'clock at night. And that's like early for the students, which is shocking to me now. But I remember those times. And, and students are always meeting at, at random hours uh, for their clubs and organizations. I mentioned earlier that there are a lot of uh, other institutions in the area, like Vassar College and Culinary Institute of America, SUNY, uh, there's a, a State University of New York, uh, SUNY New Paltz across the river. We are a magnet for talent, meaning that there are always authors, musicians, comedians, hypnotists, writers, novelists, all these folks coming to our campus to perform or be guest speakers on campus as well. We're Division One in athletics. There is always some sort of sporting event happening on campus for students. And then in the area, certainly, uh, there's a great music scene in the area. Students go out into the city of Poughkeepsie. Uh, there are bars and clubs, 18 to get in, 21 to get in, things like that. So there, there's, uh, and, and really, and some really good restaurants too. If you are someone that wants to experience the outdoors, the hiking trails, and just the, the natural beauty of this region is beautiful. It is incredible to experience. So the, if you want to go out and, and see a hot air balloon display, or you want to go hang gliding, or you want to go hiking, or ice climbing, or rock climbing, there's all great things like that to do. When I was at... Yeah, sorry. I, I was just wanted to say that something that, that struck me when I was um, in Florence talking to the faculty that I met there and, and the students was... I, I felt that Marist has this very strong identity. They're sort of like a family. Everyone identifies with Marist. And, and I assume this then carries over into your alumni network. My wife went to the University of New Hampshire. And when we first started dating and she was hanging out with me and my Marist friends, she just didn't get it. She's like, I this Marist thing is so strange like how you you guys are so closely connected and you have this this so, such a strong bond uh and now she's in the fold i mean we've been we've been married for a while uh and she gets it now but i think from her university experience looking as an outsider to mine it was very different there is this marist family so when my staff is traveling around the world we have alum in 91 different countries we're reaching out to alum and saying, hey, you want to meet up? We're, we're going to be in your area. I'd love to just catch up and see how you're doing. Uh, we're running an event a couple weeks in, in London. Our Marist basketball team's playing out there. So we're going to be visiting with, uh, with some alum out there as well. We talked earlier about the philosophy of enrolling students for life, and that's really the case. I mean, we, the, everyone reading applications, just about everybody is a Marist alum. And what that means is, People reviewing your application care about the future of the institution. This is their alma mater. And we, we want it to be better, and we want it to be the greatest, and we're looking for, that's what we're looking for in our applicants. And even if uh, my wife jokes, like, you have all these Marist shirts, like, where are you going to go? Like, if you work at another school, what are you going to do with all your Marist shirts? I'm a Marist Red Fox. I, I always, I, I can always wear my Marist shirt. So there, there is this family, this family perspective uh, that comes with, being part of Marist. It's four years for the most part of your life. It's extremely impactful. And you're going to carry so much of what you do for the rest of your life and be part of this greater alumni network. 
what sort of support do you give them when they are newly arrived students? Do you have like an airport meet and greet service? Do you, do, do you lay on uh, induction program for them? This is my favorite question because it really, in my mind, illustrates what it means to be part of the Marist community and how the Marist community welcomes new people. So for from the moment students step foot on campus, they are just embraced uh, by the Marist community. <clears throat> for international students, many of them have never been to New York. I don't even know if folks from New Jersey or let's say someone flying from like Pennsylvania, well not, you wouldn't fly from Pennsylvania, but flying from Colorado to New York would really know how to get up to, to Poughkeepsie from the airport. It could be challenging for an American. So thinking about our international students coming from such a far distance to New York and then, you know, the, the 90 minute drive up to Poughkeepsie, we make sure that there is uh, someone picking them up at the airport. So every new freshman we arrange for airport pickup with their families, if they're coming with their family or if they're coming alone, to bring them up to campus. And our international students will arrive earlier so that they have their international student orientation. And our, uh, our U.S. passport holders are also invited to that as well. Uh, so they will come up early and have a nice international student focus orientation where you can get settled, you get adjusted to the time, and then by the time the international student orientation is over, you're nice and settled for when the domestic students come. Now, when the domestic students arrive on campus, this is another great illustration of what it's like to be part of the Marist community. So our office runs freshman move-in. And what that means is we have over a thousand families that are either flying or driving to campus to move their students into their freshman residence halls. And we arrange for all the families to come in at certain times. They drive into the parking lots where they are just greeted with teams of students welcoming them with big smiles, but tape and markers as well, and making sure that all of their items are labeled correctly with the student's name in their residence hall. Then we have moving trucks that are driving through the parking lots, and there are teams of students that are taking the family's belongings, putting, putting them onto the moving trucks. The moving trucks then move, drive over to the residence hall, where there are more students to unload the moving trucks and literally carry our freshmen's belongings to their room for them and place them on their bed and in the room so that the families can take that time to go to the barbecue that's happening on the campus green, listen to some live music, and really just kind of digest and decompress from the, the drive and really focus in on what's what's happening right now. Uh, and then they get their key and they can move in and hopefully by the time they do all those things, their, their belongings are in the room. So it's a way for us to just give a nice big hug, welcome you, get you settled, and start your year off right. Now it's time to talk about the really important stuff, uh, where you get to live and where you, where you get to eat. And if I remember being a student myself, uh, what you get to eat is probably the most important thing. Let's start with accommodation, though. What kind of accommodation do you offer your, your uh, first-year students? You're going to find a traditional dormitory experience at Marist. And really, it's a rite of passage. So students are going to live two-door bedroom. And you're going to share a floor with probably another 25 different students. Uh, you'll have shared bathrooms and showers and things like that. And that's typically what a freshman residence hall looks like. When you move on to sophomore and junior year, you're going to be in apartment-style housing. Some of them you'll be required to be in a meal plan because you won't be uh, eating uh, in your kitchen because you won't have a kitchen. Some of them do have kitchens, but you could still be on a meal plan. Uh, and it's really just having a roommate and sharing a space with maybe five other five other folks or seven other folks 
shared living space, shared kitchens in certain places. Uh, and then when you move up to you know junior and senior year, some juniors, some seniors, you'll have uh, housing where you're uh, you're sharing a space with like six other folks and you have your own room. Uh, and you, you always have access to dining halls. Uh, you don't always need to have access to dining halls because you have kitchens. But we have students on different types of meal plans. We have a main dining hall, which has a variety of different food that you can eat, which is always good. I like eating there personally. And then there are little cafes that you can have on campus uh, that, that students can eat. And especially in the north end, one of the, the local delis, it's an Italian deli that is always ranked as one of the best in the area. They actually have, I guess you would call it like a satellite deli on campus where the okay. food that you'd find there is also located on the north end. So let me get this right. So does everybody live on the campus uh, right the way through, or is it just for uh, first-year students? The majority of students live on campus all four years, but there are students right. that move off campus for various reasons. Sure. Uh, but, but you have accommodation for pretty much all international students if they wish yeah. to be on campus. That's yeah, fantastic. for undergrads, yes. Right. Okay, great. Um, and, and do you have any gender-separated accommodation? How does that work in terms of gender? So when you have a freshman residence hall, the floors are typically separated by gender. One of the residence halls, they look like horseshoes. So they'll be on the same floor and one section's female, one section's male. And then as you go on to your upperclassmen housing, the apartments are separated by gender. We also offer gender inclusive housing as well. Okay. And, and you know, lots of mums and dads are, are really worried about the security aspects of the accommodation. I guess being on a campus, uh, relatively secure. So there's a law in the United States that every single university has to post their uh, crime statistics. So I would, if someone is very serious about looking at what, what, what it's like on campus, you can certainly check that out. But check it out for every every institution. I think a place like Marist is very secure, mainly because of the borders that we have. So we, we have the Hudson River on one end, and then we have a main thoroughfare, uh, Route 9, on the other. There really isn't a lot of foot traffic coming from the community onto campus. So most of the students and folks on campus are people that either work there or are living there. In the freshman residence halls, the security is going to be much uh, more tighter than it would be for upperclassmen, where we have security officers posted uh, outside the residence halls from something around three in the afternoon all the way through seven in the in the morning and then as you wow. move through your housing it's the doors are certainly have locking mechanisms and all of that and students that have keys and, and cards will have access to the residence halls but it's not as uh, strict as it would be for a, a freshman student or a sophomore so th okay. it changes as you as you grow I would recommend that if a family does have the opportunity to visit campuses in the U.S. to check it out at night. It's there's one thing. It's one thing when you're walking around campus during the day and you see how things are, but go to the campus at night and see what it's like. See what it's like on campus and see how how safe you feel. When talking with a freshman once, I asked what's probably the the most the, something that surprised you about being a freshman at college, and she said the fact that it was 11:30 at night. And she had to print a paper for her class and she didn't have to ask permission to go print her paper. She could just go to the library and print her paper. So in terms of safety, personally, I think it's a, a very safe place on campus. I've never heard of folks being worried about walking around campus. We even have a program called the Student Night Auxiliary Patrol. So if you do feel unsafe walking from one part of the campus, and certainly that happens to folks, you can call up the Student Night Auxiliary Patrol 
And it, it's a group of students that will escort you wherever you need to go on campus. Uh, but they aren't really called that much. Okay. And, and how much does accommodation cost? So when you talk about your accommodation, it's living on campus and it's eating on campus, having being a meal plan. So it's okay, so the around, two are together, yeah. Yeah, we so yeah for a freshman, the two are are going to be together, and it's going to be around around seventeen thousand for the year. Uh, let's see, freshman housing is about ten thousand seven hundred and fifty for the year, and then dining is about six thousand four hundred dollars for the year. Okay, and let's move on to dining. So you 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 get your meal plan. What does that? entail what does that mean uh breakfast lunch dinner everything yeah it um, means you can really eat as much as you want we have oh a, main, a main dining <laughs> hall where you have access to bre- breakfast lunch and dinner although we have students that are on different schedules we have some students that they never have class at eight o'clock their first class maybe is 12 so we have mm-hmm. students on different schedules but then you have with your meal plan not just access to meals but then a thing called thrifty cash and Thrifty Cash is part of the meal plan, but can be used in different cafes around campus. So let's say you're on your way to class, you don't have time to go to the dining hall, but there's a local cafe in the academic building. You can just use your Thrifty Cash there to get a meal. So there's things like that. And then we have a, a Maris Money, which operates just like a, any debit card that you would find where you can preload money there. And then there are, there are uh, eateries off campus that will take Maris Money as well. So you, you can keep everything on that on that Maris card. But in in essence, uh, with the meal plan, you can feed yourself uh, if you choose to. You can feed yourself a lot. You know, when I was a student, <laughs> we used to have we used to have trays, and you could load up your food on the tray. And, and inevitably, I would eat way too much because I would go in hungry. We don't have trays anymore, and that was an environmental decision because there was too much water being used to wash all the trays. Environmentally, it wasn't really that great. So now we just have. You know, you get your individual bowl and you can eat that one. Students have been doing it that way for a while. But you can eat as much as you want when you're in the dining hall. Okay, great. And what about vegetarians, vegans, people with special dietary oh, sure. uh, uh, requirements? It's all covered, yeah? All covered. And, and it's become much better. And even when we have private events on campus, let's say we're doing a private event for our tour guides or there's an international student program event. we're always listing student dietary restrictions and there's always an option for students, whether they're vegan or they're gluten-free. I mean, it runs the gamut. So our our chefs in the dining hall are very cognizant of students' dietary restrictions. And I mentioned earlier, you can have a a specific plan created for you in the the kitchen that is uh, is safe. Let's say you're allergic to peanut oils and things like that. They'll make sure that where they're cooking is is free of those things. So there's definitely a lot of accommodations. Joe, can you tell me uh, what the total cost will be for a student who wants to go and study at Marist? Sure. So as you probably know, the U.S. government requires that international students prove that they can afford one full academic year of study. Full cost of attendance, which means billable costs and non-billable costs. So billable costs would include your tuition and fees and health insurance and things of that nature. And then the non-billable will be travel, personal expenses, miscellaneous things of that nature as well. So when we're looking at the full costs, it's going to be for the I-20 around $67,000, dollars that a student will have to prove. And that includes everything. So that doesn't necessarily mean that's what the student is paying. That means... That's what they have to prove. When students apply, they're automatically considered for scholarship uh, based on merit. 
and we, we just know everybody wants scholarships. So there are times where, many times where students are qualifying for scholarships. Scholarships range from $10,000 to $25,000 per year. Marist also offers institutional financial aid for international students. So we ask them to complete the CSS profile to show need. And for those that have need, it's possible that they may qualify for uh, financial aid. Now, any student at Marist, whether they're international or domestic, we don't meet full need. We're not one of that, that top 4% of schools in the United States that can meet full need. But we do offer some financial aid and we do offer merit scholarships. So when, when international students are looking to prove those costs to obtain their visa, it's usually a combination of merit scholarship, need-based scholarship, and personal funds or outside scholarships. Now, many of our listeners are students who are working or studying in um, schools where the IB diploma program is taught. If a student reaches a, a certain grade in an IB diploma subject or subjects, do they automatically qualify for uh, merit-based aid? I wouldn't say that a student automatically considered for merit-based aid coming out of the IB program, but I can tell you that in my experience, someone coming out of the IB program is positioned very well, not just for admission, but for scholarships. We do recognize the rigor of the program. And in our experience, what we're trying to do is make sure that a student is going to be successful and our students coming from an IB program really have less of a challenge transitioning to the university experience when they have that IB background. A lot of the tenets of what makes the IB so great translates very well to the Marist education. So from an admission and scholarship standpoint, it positions students well. Just one more question on the topic of money. Um, a lot of students would like to work, um, but can non-US citizens work in the United States if they're there on a student visa? Absolutely. We have a lot of students that are interested in working on campus, and they are subject to the same rules as a domestic student. So you're required, or not required, but only allowed to work 20 hours per week. The students are there to be students first, and usually that job is there to help with some funds. It's not there to supplement the, the tuition or uh, make a big dent in the tuition, but give you some extra cash for books and, and for entertainment on the weekends and things like that. So international students can certainly work on campus. They have to apply for a social security number and they do pay taxes and we can assist with that. My office hires international students. We have international students working in the library. You see them all over campus. So it's, uh, it's easy to do. The, the only thing I recommend when advising students is one, don't look to get a job right away when you arrive to campus. It's really important to just get settled and get into the rhythm of what it's like to operate at the collegiate level before you start looking for jobs and, and using your time in that way. The other thing too, is that when you are planning your budget, don't account for a job. If you can plan your budget for your university and not include a job, that's great. So when you're in a position where you do have a job, all that extra cash flow is just going to be super helpful. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I usually take a more conservative approach to advising students in that way because jobs aren't guaranteed. I think that's really good advice, Joe. It's pretty much the same as I say to the students when, when we discuss this matter here in, in my office, that uh, they should look on it as, as a bonus, so to speak. Yes, definitely. Yeah. When students are researching courses at different universities, there will clearly be differences in, in content. 
Um, what would you say are the strengths of your university that, that students should uh, take notice of? You know, it's one of those things where it's really hard to define. We have opportunities for our students, prospective students, to connect with current students and with faculty. There are so many schools around the world that look so similar on paper that you really need to have those important conversations with folks that are studying here or working here to really get a sense of what the community is like and what makes it special. I think that from my personal experience, the professors are ones that really care about your, your educational experience. There are many times when I was a student, and I know this happens to current students, where the professors will give out their personal numbers and they'll go above and beyond their office hours to help students. We had students that had had major medical emergencies. Uh, this is prior to the pandemic, and they've worked with their professors to finish out their semester so that they could return uh, the following semester when they were healthier so that they didn't miss, miss out. I think it's there's a sense of obvious exploration in the educational experience uh, and the social experience for students to study abroad and, and learn new things. There's certain innovation in the classroom, but there is a, a certain level of care that makes Marist special. I think Maris has a has a clear idea about what the, what the student or outcome needs to be because if you're going to study at Maris for four years, um, clearly you're going to develop as a person as an academic. Could you talk about how Maris really fosters this development of a student from the day they walk in the door as a freshman to the day they graduate? It really actually starts prior to that. So we'll have sessions, virtual sessions in the summer to talk about what the students should expect when they when they get to Marist. And quite frankly, it probably starts earlier than that when they're speaking with admission folks about what it's like and, and interacting with us on a virtual in a virtual space. All the students are required to have a, a freshman read. And that is all built around the freshman year seminar. And the freshman year seminar takes different forms each year. But it really is to pull the entire Marist cohort together in, in, uh, based on a book uh, and based on what the academics at that time determine are, are important about those, um, this, that particular course. But that will follow with those students throughout their academic career and ultimately tying into their, their capstone project as, uh, as seniors. So when you're meeting with your advisor and you're talking about the courses that you're you're studying. Certainly, there's a design behind courses in philosophy and art and literature and history, but there are hundreds of courses that are going to fit that that criteria. So it's guiding students and making sure that they're they're sticking to this structure, but also exploring things that are that are interesting and new to them as well. Now, students and particularly their parents are always interested to know where your graduating students go on to work after Marist. Uh, what, what are the typical career areas that Marist graduates move into? It is hard to say what's typical because 97% of our, our most recently surveyed class are, in, are working within their field within six months of graduating or are in grad school. So there are some programs that will directly link to 
their their career in some programs that are really designed to for extra you know master's granting work and and, and then PhD work. Uh, we have uh, some of our international students will either intern with multinational companies and then work in those companies, get jobs in those companies back in their home country, or uh, are, are just here working based on what type of uh, what course they're on and how the visa regulations allow them to either be here for another year or, or remain longer. We just had an alumni panel of international students uh, not too long ago. Uh, we have uh, one, a student that I've grown very fond of who's a great student at, Cal at Maris from Rwanda is now working at BlackRock uh, and doing really incredible things. So uh, we also have students that are, are either going back to their home countries or depending on their visa, will be working in New York City or in California uh, and then uh, and then perhaps going back home, traveling around. So the, it really is designed so that students are set up for success in the best way. So the internship is going to play a big role with that. The Center for Career Services is going to play a role with that as well. And then leveraging the alumni network globally is going to play a major role for our students. Oh, Joe, you convinced me. I want to come. I really do. <laughs> um, how, do how do I maximize my chances to uh, to get a place uh, at Marist in New York? My goodness, this is really challenging for a lot of students based on circumstances. And it's really important that if you have engaged with us virtually or met with us at a college fair or met with us at a school visit, that you just make sure you fill out a card and let us know that we can we at least talk with you and we can record that information. But do some research, look at the school, and reach out. So when we do the admission process, an application's read multiple times, maybe three times on average, four times sometimes, sometimes five or six, depends on the student, the circumstances, and things like that. But ultimately, uh, a student will go to a committee decision where it may be what you imagine a committee would look like, a bunch of people sitting around uh, a table with laptops and discussing students' applications. B but the international person on that committee is your representative, is your advocate. So if you know Maris is a great fit, make sure you let us know that you really want to be here and let's have a conversation so that when, when and if it does get to a committee point and there's questions about your application, you have someone there that is your representative that can advocate on your behalf and why you may be a good fit for the institution. So letting us know is a great way to increase your chances. Getting involved, whether it's in a virtual space or visiting the campus, I know you have an international audience, and I'll, I, I say this to everyone, if you are visiting the campus, just let me know. Give me enough time. I'll make sure that we can arrange for a tour, meetings with uh, important folks on campus that will help you make your decision. We want to admit people that want to be here. Sure. So the more you know, and that's going to be helpful to us. That's fantastic. And it's a great hint, honestly, uh, uh, for many international students. That's uh, something very, very important. The actual process itself, how does that run? So for the New York campus, we have a few deadlines. So one is in November and one is in February. And a student is reviewed, as I mentioned, probably three or four times, depends on the student. Uh, we'll go through the uh, the admission process. We give a holistic review, which means we're really looking at everything. We're looking at your grades. We're looking at the courses that you're taking, how you're challenging yourself within your courses. We look at the student within the context of their school, within the context of their country, trying to get everyone on a relatively same playing field so that when we're evaluating students, we're evaluating them fairly. We want to know what your teachers are saying about you, what type of student you're in the classroom. 
we want to know what you say in your essay. We, we don't do interviews. It's impossible to interview the nearly 12,000 students that are applying to the college every year. So we want to make sure that we're getting a good sense of who you are and what you're about. And I know a lot of students stress about their essay. A great essay, very quickly, if you can imagine, we're reading 50 applications a day, let's say. A stack of essays, 50 essays on a table. Yours is in there, and there's no names in those essays. If your friends and family would read through that stack of 50 essays, if they could pick yours out, that's a good sign that it's a, a worthy essay. That's a great so point, John. It's really a way to get a sense of who you are and what you're about. It's a way for students to shine beyond their transcripts. You can't control the grades that you had three years ago, but that's your essay is something you can control now. So we look at that, and we want to know what you're involved in, too. So as I mentioned, we have a pretty dynamic community, and people are very involved in our community. We want to know what you do with your time. Obviously, we want to educate you, but we really want you to bring your talents and your skills to the campus so that you can give back to the campus community and get involved. So those, those things are important. So we're really looking at all of those aspects when reviewing an application. Fantastic. Um, and, you know, when when uh, students are, uh, are in the process of applying, um, do they really, um, you know, do they really need to uh, uh, use someone else? Uh, I know that many countries have agent setups and things like that, or is, is a direct application uh, uh, just as powerful? So again, this is one of those things where we review students within the context of, of their country and where they are. So we certainly are aware that students are using extra help for applying to colleges, whether the agents know who we are or the student has heard about us or a family friend went to Marist and they're applying because of that. We know that students in the United States, same thing, they'll have a talented school counselor at their school, but then they're also using an outside company or organization or person to help them apply to schools. This is sort of the nature of the industry we're in now, that it's becoming more complex and universities are trying to simplify it as, as much as possible, but there are other folks that are in that in that sphere, and it can be very confusing for students. So, what I what I try to what we try to stress is, and we try to do with our students is connecting with them. Meaning, I will reach out and say, "Hey, I'm your admission person. If you have questions, I just want to be here. I'm a resource." We'll have students reach out to our applicants and say, "Hey, I'm a student here. Let's talk and get a good sense of of you know who they are and what they're what they're about. And maybe answer some questions." So, it's very it's very common for students to be working with multiple folks when they're applying. Okay, but there's no benefit or, or uh, admissions advantage for a student uh, to apply through an agent uh, over and above a direct application. Oh. No, okay, no. So, the, yeah, there, it's not like we're looking at an applicant saying, oh, this person uh, has three people working for them, uh, and this person's just working with a school counselor, or this person just has working with a school counselor that has a, a course load, a, a caseload of 500 students and one is given yeah. a preference or the other. Really, we're, we're looking primarily at that student and how, how we, we can determine if they're going to be successful academically and if they're going to thrive in this, in this environment. So there, there isn't a preference given. I mean, same thing, we, we have the Common App. We're on the Common App and we're in the Marist App. There isn't a preference given to students applying one way or the other. So thanks, Joe. Um, if I've got 
any more questions, either as a mum or a dad or a student, um, who should I contact in your organisation and how should I contact them? You can definitely contact me. Uh, so for any student applying to the New York campus or the Florence campus, I'm the person that would review their application along with members of my team. So uh, you can contact me, you can contact uh, the other folks in the international office, or you can contact just the admission office. Uh, and what's and, the best uh, way of doing out. that, right? The best way would probably be uh, email. So you can email admission at marist.edu. Or you go to the website, just type in admission counselors at Marist, and my face will pop up, and uh, you'll be able to reach at, reach me that way. Uh, certainly, if you're, it's easier to talk on WhatsApp. Uh, my uh, mobile number is in my email. Um, I'm happy to connect with families. Uh, uh, you can also email me directly, uh, which is joe, J-O-E dot G-I-A-C-A-L-O-N-E at Marist.edu. That's probably the easiest way. But happy to speak Fantastic. with anyone. Wonderful. And uh, you know, is there anything else you'd like to add? It's uh, you've given us a great picture of, of Maris and, and what it offers. But uh, is there anything else that we've missed? Perhaps we really covered everything. I would imagine that the the last thing that I would want families to know is that visiting is probably going to be the best thing you can do if you have the means and the time that when you get to the campus, whether it's in New York or Florence, you'll get a good sense of, of what it's like. It's all about finding a sense of belonging and visiting and getting a sense of those vibes and that energy of those campuses will really help with that decision-making process. So if you can, visit. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being with us today, Joe. I really appreciate it. It's been fascinating to learn more about Marist in both campuses. Uh, and I must say, uh, if I had my time again, uh, I'd be uh, sitting there in Florence uh, uh, because uh, what a wonderful opportunity that is for students. But thank you. Thank my you, Joe. Pleasure. I mean, it's, it's been very detailed, very informative, and uh, I think very inspirational for our listeners. So uh, many thanks again. Well, I am honored to be a guest. I appreciate uh, you having me. I love the work that you're doing. Really, this can be a very complex and stressful process for families. So I think you're doing a great service in making sure that uh, they have a little bit more information to maybe reduce that stress. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and share the Find Your Best Future podcast.